Welcome to Lux's Litter Box. My name is Sean. Each week, my friend Cole and I talk about Davidson sports and A10 basketball. But honestly, it's just a platform for Cole to rant about disc golf. Right now, we're in the middle of the A10 2021 road trip preview. Each week, we talk to a different community member from one of the 14 teams in the A10 about their school. You can check our Twitter, at LLB underscore podcast, to see which week we break down your school. Thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to the road trip. Welcome back, guys, to the third episode of the A10 2021 road trip. Um, so we just got done in Richmond interviewing Jason Bowman from VCU, and now we're driving up to the Bronx going to see um, Fordham correspondent uh, Sam Basil, who's going to be talking about Fordham basketball with us today. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you again for having me on. It's, it's great. It's great to be here. And it's great to be talking about Fordham basketball and A-10 basketball. You know, I feel like we haven't talked about my mind has kind of been shut off from college basketball since April after kind of being overloaded. And it's crazy that it's already time to get back into the swing of things. For those of you who don't know me, I am a contributor to A-10 Talk, where I talk about Fordham. I also write for a website called House Enterprise, where I talk about Atlantic, the Atlantic 10 as a whole, do a little sports opinion writing, a couple of separate columns, uh, as well as sports gambling. And this summer, I've been talking a lot about the Olympics. You can also follow me on Twitter at SamWan2878. So I'm really excited today to talk about Fordham basketball. So just like George Washington, there's really a lot up in the air and a lot that we don't know going into it. But I think there's a really interesting story here that we have with Kyle Neptune coming in as the new coach starting over with this Fordham program. So how do you feel about the new coach first and foremost? I think the future for Fordham basketball is bright. I don't want to get too ahead of ahead of ourselves here, but I mean, coach Kyle Neptune, I talked to him probably a week after Fordham made the announcement official. And in you know my preliminary conversation with him, which I covered on A10 Talk, I mean, the guy seems to really know his stuff. And he's really dead set on making Fordham a premier destination, not only in the, in the Atlantic 10, but also just in the New York college basketball scene. Because think about the programs that you have elsewhere around the city. I mean, you've got St. John's, you've got Iona, you've got Columbia, I mean, all these historic college basketball programs and Fordham, which has kind of been floundering the past almost 30 years now. They haven't made the NCAA tournament since 1992. And so for Kyle Neptune, you know, who's got a national championship with Villanova to come in here and want to make Fordham a premier basketball school, I think is a big deal. Yeah. And Kyle Neptune is just pulling from Villanova's website. He was the longest tenured Villanova assistant. Like you said, obviously he's been a part of a program that's had a long winning tradition. Just for now, let's put that aside and let's talk a little bit about what happens last year. Yeah, just to kick us off, if you were to talk about the 2020-2021 season, board and basketball, how did it make you feel? What were your general takeaways from last season? So last season was tough. I mean, you know, in kind of leading up to this podcast, we were talking about what my expectations were for Fordham last season, given where the program was and, you know, the current, the current state of the world at that time, I think the biggest goal for Fordham that year was just to play basketball, to get on the court and play some basketball. And, you know, although they kind of got off to a rocky start, I mean, they didn't, they canceled their entire non-conference schedule and opened up the season against George Washington. They got through it. And, 
it was rough, but I think they came out of the, you know, the other side of that tunnel a bit better, you know, nothing against uh, Jeff Neubauer, but I think coach Neubauer not being with the team by the end of the season was a big step forward for the program in just the sense that they were able to finally realize that what coach Neubauer's was the system that he was trying to bring to the school and to the program just wasn't working. And it was time to move on and bring in this new head coach, which ended up working out great because we got Kyle Neptune. Uh, so I think it was a lot of, you know, right place, right time, and kind of just, you know, kind of moving through a lot of the frustrations to get to a better, better outcome at the end. Let's go into some key losses that Fordham has for this coming year. They lose top three leading scorers in uh, Chris Austin and Tyler Perry and Joel Serrano, um, all the transfer. But I mean, with the new coaching staff coming in, that's kind of what you expect, especially with the complete re- rebuild, like what's potentially happening with Fordham. How do you feel about them leaving? I mean, it's tough. I mean, you know, Ty Perry, Joel Soriano, and Chris Austin were all great scorers. They were probably the top three players on the team last year. I mean, especially Joel. I mean, he was the center of, you know, kind of Coach Neubauer's defensive schemes and especially their offense. They were, they were dumping the ball to him a lot down low. But that's just something that you have to expect when you're making a coaching change. I mean, you know, say what you will about Jeff Newbarrow as a coach. For a lot of the guys on that team, when when he left the program, you know, he was the only coach they ha- they've had probably in their entire college career. So that's a big change. And it's not something a lot of guys would want to stick with at Fordham, you know, bringing in a new coach. So they might just go seek out an entirely new program altogether. In terms of this being a major hit for the basketball program, you know, obviously no offense to those three players. I mean, they're all great, but I mean, it's just something that every program should expect. And I think that they're going to be able to move on from, you know, in terms of scoring, I think Kyle Neptune, Neptune has already started to bring in some names that, you know, kind of exemplify what he's going to want to put together in terms of, you know, strategy and a game plan for this team moving forward. The biggest name, I think, entering Fordham this year is Antonio Day, transferring from Florida International University last year. I mean, he, the dude is an elite scorer. I mean, if you ever get a chance to look at, you know, any highlights or mixtapes of him from his time at FIU, I mean, you can really see that he is a fast-paced, high-volume scorer that I think will really work well with, uh, Kyle Neptune's game plan at Villanova. They were, you know, Jay Wright was a big pioneer of the four out one in scheme, which uh, in a conference like the a 10, I mean, the a 10 is a pretty good conference for shooters. So I think that is going to be a really good uh, scheme to use for those of you who don't know the four out one in is just four guys outside the perimeter and one guy down low to grab rebounds, just to make sure that, you know, with a lot of cuts across the court, obviously, but just any guy on the court at any time has to be open for a three-pointer. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. As Davidson students, we're always excited about watching teams that shoot a lot of threes. Yeah, so we've talked about Quisenberry and Day, um, who I guess we both expect to start at least maybe at the beginning for Fordham. Who are the other names that we should kind of look look for next year in the starting lineup and maybe coming off the bench, sixth men, seventh men, kind of thing. Uh, in terms of there's actually quite a few returning names that, that, you know, like I was saying, you know, it's kind of natural for a lot of guys to leave uh, after a coaching change. But, you know, there are there are quite a few returning names. I think the biggest one to note is uh, Chuba Ohams, 
who actually entered the transfer portal following the end of this season and then, you know, decided to come back for his graduation year. So he believe is using that extra year of COVID eligibility. And so he'll be back. He's he has been Fordham's kind of starting center for probably the past like two, three years now. And he's just been great. I mean, in the 2020 to 2021 season, he was out for a long time due to injury and kind of came kind of came back during the Atlantic 10 tournament, but you know, wasn't fully up to speed. But I think the biggest plus for having Chuba Oham's back is that he retains probably the best part of Jeff Newbauer's tenure at Fordham, which is just elite defense. As disappointing as Fordham's win-loss records had been during the Newbauer era, in the 2019 to 2020 season, Fordham was ranked top 10 nationally in defense. So even though they couldn't really get the ball in the basket, they were really, you know, their their wins were just, you know, 54-53 wins, 59-57 wins. They were really, you know, kind of bringing opponents down to their level in order to get out like a really close win. And so I think Chuba staying with the team is going to be a huge, huge plus for Fordham's defense, especially in this kind of weird transition year with Kyle Neptune. Right. So, I mean, figure with any new coach and then Fordham's getting so many new roster additions that it will kind of most likely be like a transition and rebuilding year. I'm not exactly sure of the ages of these transfers, but as a way that you kind of see it is like Ohams and like Chubes and, uh, and Josh Navarro kind of like showing the younger transfers the good part. They're like transitioning. Like, no, I see where I see where, I see where you're getting at. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, you can't expect much out of Fordham in terms of a possible NCAA appearance this year, obviously, or you know, even a, that stellar of an Atlantic 10 record. But with these transfers, you know, guys like Chuba Ohams, you know, returning guys like Chuba, Jalen Cobb, Josh Navarro. Even though they're in their first year of this Kyle Neptune system as well, they're going to be able to get, you know, incoming freshmen and transfers and recruits coming to visit the school, you know, to make that decision in the spring of 2022, what the Fordham culture is all about. They are laying the groundwork along with Kyle Neptune as to what Fordham's basketball culture will be for the next five years, maybe 10 years, you know, however long Kyle Neptune decides to be at Fordham, everything that happens this year is going to be super crucial. And guys like Chuba Ohams and Jalen Cobb will have a huge role to play in that laying of the groundwork. How do you think that this new coaching hire will excite the uh, fan base and the student body to like, I mean, eventually come out to the games and stuff? From even before Kyle Neptune was officially made head coach of Fordham basketball, this coaching search has really invigorated, you know, Fordham fans, you know, both currently at the school and alumni. One of the big things about Fordham is that the alumni network is pretty deep and it's pretty well entrenched in the immediate, you know, kind of New York metropolitan area. And while you haven't seen it in these last couple of years, I think a coach like Kyle Neptune who can, you know, get wins and get wins at home in Rose Hill gym, which is something that he really emphasized that he wanted to do. You're going to get fans in those seats. You're going to get people watching foreign basketball on TV. You're going to get fans or maybe alumni who were just kind of casually into the basketball program or just kind of want a reason to kind of get back involved with their alma mater 
are going to want to come watch Fordham basketball if Kyle Neptune can put on an entertaining and winning product. So I think already we're seeing the kind of gears in motion of almost like a Fordham basketball renaissance. Again, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but the future is bright. I got one more question about sort of about Fordham this year and what we can expect. And I think this is probably the biggest question that me and Cole came up with the entire time. Why the heck are you getting all these Penn State transfers? Like, how did that happen? What was it like three <laughs> Penn State transfers or something this offseason? That is a great question. And I honestly could not give you a solid answer. So when looking at some of these Penn State transfers, they are a lot of guys who don't have a ton of minutes. For example, Patrick Kelly. Patrick Kelly did not, I don't think he got a single minute uh, in his one or two years at Penn State. Maybe one of Kyle Neptune's current recruiting strategies in terms of transfers is, you know, kind of reaching out to these power five, you know, power six schools, you know, whatever, whatever it is in the in college basketball compared to college football. I mean, I like, I know at A10 talk, we like to say power eight. You know, I think he's reaching out to a lot of these bigger programs and these guys that aren't getting a lot of minutes and kind of doing the opposite of what a lot of transfers do from the A10 to these bigger schools and saying, hey, look, I can get you time on the court. I can get your numbers way up if you just come play for me. And, you know, Penn State is kind of one of those programs where I'm sure there's a lot of guys who are kind of, you know, teetering on that on that level of maybe moving up to the next level, but they just can't get the playing time. Um, so it seems to me like, you know, and definitely in the future, next few years, that you're very optimistic about Fordham. Um, but for a lot of, you know, more casual fans, they're just going to see the numbers, the records, the stats. Last season, Fordham's expectation, you know, there was a point where we wondered if they were even going to get a win. And luckily they did. They, they beat Dayton at a little, not Dayton in their full strength and capacity. They still had a very impressive win against Dayton and LaSalle. Still beat um, them, though. Still beat but, Dayton. Yeah, you did. I mean, you did. I mean, it's still impressive. Going into this next year, you know, there's similar questions. You know, how many wins can this team really get? Um, you have power rankings, pretty much all of them were Fordham's last. And then you still have those Twitter trolls that are saying that's too high when it's last. Um, so in terms of your expectations for Fordham, numbers-wise, standings-wise, you're optimistic about, you know, the future next couple of years. Do you think next year we'll also see, you know, a slight improvement in the numbers? Yes. I mean, in terms of, in terms of an improvement in the numbers, I do think Fordham will win more than two games. Uh, looking at their, they've been kind of fickle on their, uh, non-conference schedule so far. They haven't really released a ton of information, but in terms of their conference schedule, I think, I think we have a good chance of taking down some, some decently sized schools at home. I mean, George Mason, George Washington, LaSalle are always beatable schools at home. No offense to any of those programs, but I just think, you know, they're on our level where it's, it's kind of a coin toss going into any game. Uh, same goes for all of those schools away. I mean, I think St. Joe's, we have a good chance of beating. So, you know, I would say probably out of the 18 games that Fordham is playing in conference, I would say at least at worst six and 12 in conference play at best eight and 10, well, maybe wow. nine and nine. If I'm feeling, if I'm feeling, uh, you know, crazy. Wow. I mean, that's, it's kind of crazy to hear. And like, before we jump into the, next section where we talk about you know some random stuff i just want to say like you know for someone who's just been kind of paying attention to fordham obviously from the outside and they're not really knowing many people personally or fordham fans like 
you know, you really just see the numbers and like, it's hard to really see, you know, what it's like to be a fan of a team that hasn't really found success recently. And it just, I don't know, it's really refreshing. You know, you get all those random annoying people who say like, we'll kick Fordham out of the A-10, blah, 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 blah. But like, you know, the Fordham has their own culture, their own basketball culture. And it's really, you know, it's nice to see like optimism and like, you know, stuff to watch, stuff to root for. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to Fordham not only next year, but seeing what Kyle Neptune can do, seeing what these transfers can do. Um, hopefully seeing, you know, the bottom of the A-10 um, move up and, you know, get closer to the middle and the top. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. And even, even when Fordham loses, I don't think it's going to be, you know, like, a sloppy loss. I think this is going to be a team that's going to fight for every bucket and they're going to play a fast paced, maybe not entirely clean basketball as they're kind of getting their footing, but I think it's going to be a much more fun branded basketball. And for this upcoming year, that's, what's more important, just a better brand of basketball and the wins will come down the road. We're moving from boredom specifically to more general stuff, just about, a10 life in general, maybe a little bit of Olympics coverage and stuff. So first off, sticking with Fordham, do you have any Fordham hot takes? Previous hot takes, we had George Washington talked about pep bands uh, for VCU, talked about why I think it wasn't Raising Canes wasn't very good at all. Yeah, um, which, that take. was definitely a hot take. Apparently, there's about to be one in Nashville, which I'm excited to see whether our friend was uh, right about that or not see how good Raising Canes is. But yeah, do you have some uh, Fordham hot takes just about Fordham basketball, the university in general, campus life, anything like that? You know, for anybody listening at Fordham who kind of went to Fordham around the time I did, I guess I guess my hottest take, one that kind of got all my friends kind of, you know, riled up was that, oh, a crust above. So we had this, we had this sandwich shop that was kind of under freshman wellness dorm, which was kind of the dorm that you had to like sign a pledge saying that you would, like not drink. Everyone hated it. Everyone said it had like the nastiest sandwiches. It was probably my favorite place on campus. If I'm going to be honest, I went there almost every day. Uh, the Buffalo chicken sandwich was to die for. It was Buffalo chicken on just a piece of untoasted white bread. And let me tell you, it hit differently. So anyone who went to Fordham, who graduated like from like the class of 2017 to 2020, maybe, you probably know what I'm talking about. And, you know, if you disagree with me, I don't care. Did you have to like uh, do like a secret agent thing? Like have to put on like a fedora or something and like sunglasses to make sure no one recognized you like going in? No, I walked right in. I, I walked right in. I did not care. Yeah. I confident about it. I would, I would come out and my friends would be walking by and they're like, you're, you're disgusting. And I would, I would just, you know, kind of bask in their, in their disdain. In a battle to the death, who wins? A hundred clones of Joe Lenardi or all 14 of the A-10 mascots? I feel like considering Joe Lenardi, you know, along with, uh, you know, Jay Billis and John Rothstein and Andy Katz, their, their collective minds hold a lot of weight in the college basketball community, especially on social media. You know, they are, while they might not, they might not necessarily be a part of the official NCAA selection committee, you know, their words hold a lot of weight in terms of def like determining who's in, who's out, who's getting the higher seeds, who's getting the attention. So I think, you know, the, the hundred clones of Joe Lunardi would kind of 
pool together some sort of Professor X mind powers over all 14 A-10 mascots. Because to be fair, look, we've got a lot of animals. You don't need a lot of mind power to, you know, overthrow three Rams. I think the fact that we've got three Rams in the Atlantic 10 kind of holds us back a little bit in a, in a battle of the wits. So I'm going to have to go with the 100 clones. Joe Lenardi just traps them in a tough region, tough West region. They can't get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So actually, no, I got, I got one more question, sort of in the same, same thing. Do you know what a uh, Billiken is? You know what? I Googled it one time because I was at Chaffetz Arena traveling with the Fordham basketball team, and I read the Wikipedia, and it comes from some sort of poem, and it just hurt my head trying to figure it out. Yeah, people keep saying the Billikens are going to, like, kill a lot of Joe Lenardi's. I'm just, like, so confused. I kind of understand, like, why people people would kind of overpower the Billiken, though. It's kind of got that, like, scary elf-on-the-shelf energy where, like, you don't know what it's, like, fully capable of. You've been covering the Olympics a lot lately. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I've been covering the Olympics for uh, two publications. First off, I've been covering them for Cross Magazine, which is a magazine started by, it's kind of a collaboration of a bunch of university students from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And it's just a magazine that covers a wide variety of topics. Uh, Their slogan is, you know, kind of rethinking student media. So it's just kind of creating like a space for, you know, different creatives of all types to kind of contribute their work. And so what I've, I've kind of been trying to uh, hit the Olympics at a couple different angles. One of the pieces I've been working on that's actually out on the site now is kind of coverage on the Olympic refugee team, which is something I've really found fascinating over the past couple of years. We saw it first debut in the Rio games in 2016. Uh, they brought it back for the Korean games in, in 2018. And it, it's been a feature this year at its peak so far in terms of the amount of players and competitions that uh, it's been in, uh, in Tokyo in 2020. And so this team is basically, they pull from athletes who have confirmed refugee status by the United Nations refugee committee around the world. You know, they might be hosted in Germany. They might be hosted in the Netherlands. They might be hosted in the United States. And these are athletes that are, you know, while they are fleeing these serious political and social crises around the, around the world, they're still some of the best athletes on the planet. And so the Olympics kind of gives them this space, not only to, you know, compete at the best of their ability, you know, in a spot they deserve, but also to kind of, you know, shed light on the millions of refugees around the world. Um, And so not only do they compete at the games, but the IOC does work with uh, several refugee athletes, you know, in terms of education and building programs, athletic programs for, you know, refugees outside of the games as well. So I think it's, I think it's a great program. Uh, Yeah. And you can, and you can check out my full write up on that probably somewhere in my Twitter. I also talk about, uh, you know, just some of the bigger moments from the Olympic games that we've seen so far, including Probably my favorite moment so far, which was in the women's street skateboarding event. This was the first time we've seen skateboarding at the Olympics this year. And it featured one of the youngest podiums we've ever seen in Olympic history. Podiums went like this in age range gold to a 13-year-old from Japan, silver to a 13-year-old from Brazil, and bronze to a 16-year-old from Japan. So that was pretty crazy. That's what a lot of the new events at the Olympics have been demonstrating they've kind of been pushing back at this 
kind of traditional Olympic mindset. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Olympics have always been kind of, they've always had wiggle room for creativity. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, out of the norm events, but I mean, with the new events this year, skateboarding, sport climbing, surfing, they're kind of really pushing the envelope in terms of what we accept as an Olympic sport. And in terms of getting viewers and engagement on social media, I think it's done a great job. I mean, it brings a lot of people who might not have necessarily watched the games to watch it. And it overall just creates a, a lot more fun atmosphere, you know, because that's what the Olympics is really about. Yeah. Talking about those, like the new events. I mean, there's some old events, though, that seem a little bit weird, too, like the uh, for the Winter Olympic Games, like the biathlon. Like who thought it was a good idea that like we're going to ski downhill and then we're going to shoot at things and that's going to be fun and everyone's going to want to watch that. Just generally, if you wanted to add a sport to the Olympic Games, you could create the sport if you wanted to. What would you do? I mean, I could think of two. I could probably think of two that I'm pretty much only including because I feel like I could compete in both. One, Magic the Gathering. I mean, hit me up anytime on Arena. I'll smoke you with my Niv-Mizzet guild deck. You know, come at me. I think I can win gold. Two, this would be tough because I think baseball and softball already have a pretty hard time like getting into the Olympics on a consistent basis. But I think if you put wiffle ball in the Olympics and just like streamed it on like YouTube or Instagram or something, it'd be a great time. It'd be amazing. I mean, there's just it's so much more fun because the pitches are so crazy and there's so much that can happen. It's be great. Yeah, no, as soon as they add like Magic the Gathering, as soon as they add Clash Royale which I got really good at one summer. As soon as they add that and Wizard 101 PVT, as soon as they add those those two things in, then I am a gold medal finalist already. I was going to say, if you don't mention Wizards 101, I was going to shame you for not just embracing who you are, a big wizard or whatever you do in that game. I don't know. Also, kind of the theme of this podcast real quick is that basically me and Cole are doing a road trip around the A-10. And so each week we ask our guests one question, which, by the way, Cole, I'm making a Spotify playlist with with all of this. Um, We ask our guests, if you could have three songs for a road trip, what would your top three songs be? Oh, that is a great question. I'm going to head over to my Spotify road trip playlist. And I'll let you guys know right now. You're prepared. Always. All right. First one. Because, you know, I feel like highways, you know, driving a lot of highways on a road trip. Highway Tune by Greta Van Fleet. The New Workout Plan by Kanye West. And, oh, my last one. Oh, this is tough. I'm going to have to go Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa. That's very, yeah. very diverse. Dua Peep. Yeah, Dua Peep. Exactly right. No, most yeah. <laughs> most people have really been picking stuff like pre two thousand. So to hear some Dula Peep, you know, that's it's kind of gonna mix things up. I like it. I mean, if I'm if I'm gonna be on the road for a long time, you know, I gotta I gotta switch it up every once in a while. So yeah, you gotta switch up the moods. I think that about wraps things up. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the episode. I really enjoyed this conversation with you about literally everything. Where can the fans find you? Yeah, so uh, mainly pretty much like the hub for all of my stuff is on Twitter. That's uh, at SamJuan2878. That's S-A-M-J-U-A-N-2878 on Twitter. You can also follow my kind of catch-all sports page on Instagram. That's Sports by Basil, which is Sports by and my last name, Basil, B-A-S-E-L. 
And that's kind of my catch-all for all the websites I write for. So A10TalkHouseEnterprise.com and uh, my podcast, which you can find on Spotify. Uh, new episodes coming soon. I took a bit of a break for the summer, but it's gonna. It's called The Basil Daily. Cole was actually really excited about that. I showed that to him. He's like, oh, look, it's all all my teams. I can just listen to the podcast. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's me being a miserable New York fan for five minutes every day. This has been so much fun. Really excited for next week as well. Where are we heading? Well, Sean, we're heading out west. No, we're, we're actually not really heading out that far west. We're going to Philadelphia from New York, so not that far. But anyways, we're going to be interviewing a St. Joe's and LaSalle contributor to Agent Talk and in general, Anthony Morelli. He also has his podcast, Tony's Takes, and we're going to be talking about St. Joe's basketball, the Hawks. So excited for next week. You know, Philadelphia is another city where I've never been. No, that is so, dude, no. But again, have you ever been to Omaha, Nebraska, Cole? No, but have you ever um, had a piggyback ride on Ryan Howard? Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at LLB underscore podcast. You can follow Cole at WildcatCole24 on Twitter. Please leave a positive rating if you liked it. If not, then just don't leave any rating. That'd be awesome. And you can hit the follow button on whatever your preferred podcast hosting service is. All right. Well, I think that wraps things up. I don't know, again, if you've been listening, but I've been having all our guests closed with a little bit of a Lux's Litter Box roar meow. <laughs> you want to give a little meow roar, whatever you come up with uh, for the for the close? Thanks so much for listening. Go Wildcats. Uh, yeah, I'll give a little <laughs> that's actually i think that's the best one we've had it's sexiest one we've had that was the weirdest thing i've ever done on a podcast